Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's show, we'll talk baseball with Chip Frederick. Chip appears on our guest line, which is brought to you by our friends at Bowl and Branch. I've used Bowl and Branch sheets for about seven years. I will not sleep on anything else. And I'm just going to tell you, try them for yourself and you'll see why. The sheets are 100% organic cotton. They're rain-fed. That makes a difference. I don't know why, but I can just tell you I feel it in the way I sleep every night. These sheets are fantastic. If I go somewhere else and sleep on other sheets. I notice the difference because they're not what Bowling Branch sheets are. You can try them free for 30 days. Go to BowlingBranch.com, that is B-O-L-L, enter the promo code VANDY, and get $50 off your first set of sheets. You can return them after 30 days. You're not going to want to because you love them just the way that I do. Go to BowlingBranch.com today. Help out the people who help our podcast, and you can thank me for that later. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland & Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland & Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, the news on Monday morning, good news for Vanderbilt fans. The Commodores run through three games in the Nashville Regional Beat Georgia Tech twice and Presbyterian once. Vanderbilt, the champion of the Nashville Regional. It will now face East Carolina next weekend. Dom Keegan, your regional MVP. The Commodores win a wild one on Sunday night slash Monday morning. The game ended about 1.10 in the morning, and Chip and I will talk about that and the rest of the series in today's show. Chip Frederick joins me. This is Monday morning. (laughs) It's still Monday morning. Monday morning's been going on for a while now. Thanks for joining me. What in the world did we watch? Man, that was a uh, that was as strange of a baseball game as I've been to. Exhausting. Uh, I'm still feeling the effects of it. Uh, I know my eight year old boy and my twelve year old boy, my eleven year old boy, are feeling it too. I mean, it it was. uh, Of course, they feel better, a lot better. They've got a little more stamina than their old man, but. It was, uh, that was a crazy game, one that you will remember for a lot of different reasons, Chris. Um, just the back and forth flow of the game. There was a time uh, last night where it, w- it was so quiet in that stadium. And I think I, I told you before we went on, there was a time for about, you know, that when Georgia Tech took the lead there. Well, it was actually is when Vanderbilt took the lead and had the throw out the, the double play there from right field. And then the strikeout followed by a strikeout where even though the Commodores were ahead, the life just went out of the stadium. It was quiet. You could hear conversations going on a section away. It was just, and you feel, and then Georgia Tech had the big explosive innings of themselves, and they go ahead. And then it really got quiet. Uh, and I even texted you in the middle of the game um, if, if the um, listeners only knew what our text conversations. Usually I say a lot more than Chris Lee does. Chris usually responds with yes or no, but I think I texted you and I said, where has the light, the air has gone out of this place. And then just the back and forth. And then you had the big, the big home runs that, that followed. And, and uh, 
it was a definite um, test of willpower and stamina. And you really got to hand you know tip your hat to Georgia Tech. I thought they that team was a lot better than I thought. They got some some as in the business, the baseball business, they call them donkeys. I mean, guy, and they're three through seven. You and Tim Corbin even talked about that. Guys who could hit the ball out of the park at any time. I thought that um, they were they played with no fear, and and you got to really tip your cap to them. I, I thought they played hard. They didn't back down, uh, and it was just a matter of willpower to, to tell you. And I'm sure everybody's got their own stories about what they did and how they passed time with all the p- pitching changes. In that 11th inning, when we couldn't get anybody out, I went behind uh, to get something to drink, and you basically had <laughs> you had several sets of parents pacing in the back. They weren't even watching the game. Uh, th- there were there were four, five, six parents that were just literally pacing near the gates of the stadium, maybe catching a glance of it on the television. And you know, my parents did that. My my mother and father were, especially when I was pitching, they wouldn't sit still, and they would walk around. But when you're in that and the emotions of that, uh, and I'm sure that was going on a lot of places all over the stadium. But glad it was over with at the at the wee hours of the morning when it when it happened. Glad to see this team survive. I mean, they played three games. Each one of them was a little bit different. You know, you had the 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 walkover game, just a whitewash ten nothing game, and then a little closer game against Georgia Tech, and got them in the winners bracket finals. And then that yesterday, last night, this morning, whatever you want to call it, um, with the emotional swings that happened. But it, it it's over with, and this team advances. And good to see that they are playing in another super regional here at the Hawk coming up this weekend. Boy, there's a lot to discuss. Um, oh, it's in there. <laughs> I'm going to throw one at you, though. Um, and I'm going to see if you can pick up on on where the dots connect. If Tate Colwick, and, and this, this is going to sound awful. I, I don't mean it the way it's going to sound. But if Tate Colwick doesn't get hurt on Friday, are they playing Monday? I don't know. Uh, that's, and and I, let me let me hit the pop. That's that's probably. I, th- I think we're both running on fumes. That that's a lot of dots for me to have yeah, you connect. Yeah. Here's what I mean by that. Jason Gonzalez had not been in the lineup. Gonzalez was huge last night. Uh, first of all, he hits the home run that ties it. Uh, he took a walk in the fourth and scored. Uh, kept an inning alive with a couple of outs. And, well, he took a walk in the 10th. That ended in double play. But he had a double for an insurance run in the 11th. Ended up being more important maybe than we thought. I guess they were going to win anyway. But it gives you a little bit more insurance. I thought he played really well. You know, he fielded well. and, And that's one of these things that just all these crazy little things in baseball, they add up. And I was just thinking, among other things last night, it would be interesting to see how that plays out differently if Colwick stays in because Gonzalez was the guy last night, and I think there were several underrated heroes, but I think he is certainly near the top of that list. Yeah, and when you look at what Gonzalez for the last, gosh, several weeks, I mean, he has not hit the ball well at all, very few hits, if any, since the Kentucky series, and and, um, he was in a slump. And he gets his opportunity, and that shows what depth can do. But I, I see your point, and the thing that that was impressive to me. I mean, of course, the he had some 
big hits and some walks and getting on base, but but how we how we play in the field. I mean, he's always been a question mark. Not always, but the, this season, I mean, he's you know you look at what his totals are for the year, and you know he leads the team in errors with twelve, and there's really not anybody close to him, and. He goes out and plays airless baseball all weekend, and uh, that was impressive to me more than anything. I, th- I, I, sh- I think he showed a lot of poise, and and uh, you know what a big hit that he gets for the home run. And you know if if anybody wants to question that how launch angles and and I know this has been brought up about I mean there's so many home runs being hit in this tournament, and I think I saw on your board they're close to breaking a record if they're not going to for home runs and regionals combined, you know, there's a lot of strikeouts and a lot of home runs and boy, if you, if you closed your eyes and didn't know any different, I know that the bad era that we had, you know, gosh, what was that? 10, 12 years ago. And kind of after Corbin's first couple years, uh, boy, the ball is really lively. Look at what happened in Knoxville. Look what happened this weekend in Nashville, Georgia tech, you know, mashed the ball as well. A lot of home runs last night by both both sides, and, and you just wonder what's going on. I mean, it, it, you know, sometimes it can. You know, more parks are lively than more lively than others. You, you got kids bigger, stronger, faster that we've talked about on the pitching side, but man alive, there's some. You know, it's 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 uh, you're seeing a lot of of home runs, I and mean, wonder if the launch angle deal. You got the kids throwing and out. Now I said this to my son last night watching and he plays ball and he, he understands certain things, but I see, you know, the home run that was hit by Georgia tech to tie it when you had Murphy just blowing gas. I mean, a lot of that has to do with, and people understand, you know, when you're throwing 97, 98 and you, you don't get around on it, but just the sheer strength of some of these kids, like what happened, a lot of that work was, yes, it was bat speed, but it was also done by the the velocity on Murphy. And if you just get the ball on the bat, it's going to travel. And I, I'm not so sure home runs these days with these kids pitching so hard with so much velocity and you get the athletic side on these kids, they just get the bat on the ball and they're letting the bat do the work and letting actually, but not letting the bat do the work, but the velocity of the incoming pitch. There's some science to that, I'm sure. So yeah, I see your point, and and we can sit there and play hypotheticals all all day long. But I was impressed with how the kid came in, and after being kind of last couple, you know, ever since the SEC tournament before that, being in a slump, and he comes in and in a big way last night. You know, the other guy that I thought was kind of an unsung hero, and the line does not show it at all, was Chris McIlvain. Oh yeah, and he gave up three hits, one walk. Gave up two runs, both earned in two and a third innings. He also struck out six, but I thought he was very good. It felt like he stabilized the game a, a bit there at a time where they, they kind of needed it. I think McIlvain, yeah, he was on the hill when Thomas had the error, I believe. Yes, he was. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just thought that he gave them some good stuff. I want to ask you something because – when I'm knee-deep in a baseball game like that one last night, and the funny thing was, like, I lost all sense of time. That game was compelling. It was long. But I always have, like, this internal clock that works pretty well for me that I can usually tell you what time it is within a few minutes. I have this uncanny ability to wake up in the middle of the night and have a good sense of what time it was. I looked down at 
at my clock last night was 11.45. I don't think I could have told you within 30 or 45 minutes what time it was because I just thought the baseball was that compelling. So that's one thing. But here's what I wanted to get to. Okay, I'm rewinding the fifth. And and this is when Tech scores five runs. And, and I'm looking at my scorebook, so excuse me. I'm, I'm trying to find where the inning starts. Okay, Luke Waddell get, gets a home run to start the inning off uh, Riley. who Frankly, I was a little surprised he was out for the fifth, although he had started to pitch better. So there was that. And then he gets a pop-up and a ground out. Drew Compton gets an infield single. Andrew Jenkins gets on on that error to deep right on a fly ball to Thomas that he dropped that everybody knows about. And then next batter, walk, and then Stephen Reed hits a three-run home run. Now, you tell me. I'm not an official scorer, but I always thought that if the inning is prolonged by an error, the runs that happen as a result after the presumed third out are unearned right yeah I, I thought actually those runs were unearned so did they, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here at, looking, at, looking at, at the stat sheet of the stat right. broadcast and it says they were all earned now maybe they corrected that later I'm going to pull up the official box uh because that, that's got to be the case right well it shows his on, on his line four and two-thirds for uh six runs four of them earned uh, the one I'm looking at. So yeah, it, it was, um, that might be something to check out. You know, Riley, once again, Chris, you know, you, you we've been, and I'm sure people are sick of talking about it, but this, this third starter situation, you almost, you, and the, this, you almost want to throw your hands up and say, you know, you need a strike thrower. Uh, and Riley comes in, Commodores take the lead in the first one, nothing. And then, he proceeds to, I think he gets the first out, if I'm not mistaken, but then just cannot find the zone. And, and you know, you wonder if he did take a little bit up his fastball. And he was throwing harder last night, I think, than he has been. Because I'm a big scoreboard watcher. I love, as far as the radar, I love watching uh, the differentiation as the game goes on and seeing guys tire. And if they're coming on, you know, he's what Lighter did the other night. Seems as strong as he was in the fifth or sixth than he was just as he was earlier. But, you know, this, this whole Bermuda triangle of the second inning, that's the first inning, second inning, we talked about it last week, that these guys cannot uh, stand prosperity and they can't throw strikes. And you, you know, in that situation, McIlvain has sort of been that guy who's come in and been the, been the glue to link them to a Maldonado or Luke Murphy in late innings. And he unfortunately gives up the, the the home run in that situation and had a little bad luck. But, you know, Riley has been how many outings now? I mean, he almost doesn't. And I'm looking down at the pen in the first and wondering if they're going to get anybody up. And no one was stirring down there. They seemed convinced they were going to let him go through that. But, I mean, against Mississippi State, he didn't get through the first inning. I'm trying to think there was a, a later game, maybe Kentucky, where he got through it and then pitched his best baseball after that. But the first two innings for some of these pitchers on the staff have have been alarming, um, and it's not just Riley. It's not just it, it's the entire. You know, you had the the lighter situation we're talking about, and not sure what's going on there. But in that third guy, you you you've got to have somebody who can pound the zone, 
and it doesn't have to be 96, 97. It, and it looks like he took a little bit off his fastball uh, in, when he progressed in the innings two, three, and four. Maybe he was not throwing 96, 97. He was throwing more 92, 93, where you get the ball over. He seemed high and left towards the left-handed batter's box because I was sitting behind there uh, quite a bit. It looked like that, you know, in, in, in many cases, Rodriguez was reaching to his right a lot with him and that can tell you a little bit as far as overthrowing possibly that he was trying to get in the zone and, and he took some off, but yeah, it, 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 uh, the, I would check that out with Riley. Cause I thought that was the same thing. And I'm alarmed really that there was that many earned runs charged to him. Okay. I, I figured it out. I'll have to correct myself. I thought that McIlvain was on the mound for the air. He was not, he came in after that. Okay. Um, although I okay. think you could say at that point, I, I question whether they left Riley in too long. I mean, you know, a little more Merrill, that ball probably gets out of the park, and we're not talking about an error. You know, I want to get back to some things with hitting in a minute. I, I don't really want to start the, the podcast on a, on a negative note, given what they've done. But since we're talking about it, their bullpen management at times, I really don't get. It seems to me like they don't get guys up in time. It seems to me like their hook with guys is longer than it should be. And, and look, sometimes it works out right. I just do worry about the pitch counts. Um, I, I didn't really see that Rocker needed to throw the sixth against Presbyterian. Um, or, or the seventh, I mean. I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I left last night concerned about some of the workloads and the, the guy especially that I just didn't get is, is Murphy sitting there and he's visibly cramping for a couple of hitters I, I don't know why at that point they didn't stop the game bring that kid some Gatorade ask for sort of an injury timeout I, I know a cramp is not an injury but I think common sense would sort of tell you that when a kid is physically struggling it's going to put him at risk I thought that was a situation where I'm sitting there watching going, I cannot believe they're not coming out, giving this kid some fluids, asking for a little bit of time because he was obviously struggling. He wanted to gut the game out. Uh, at some point, somebody should have done something in that spot. Then they bring Ethan Smith in kind of suddenly. I don't know that he was very warm. Uh, nobody says, hey, th this was a quick pitching change. Can we give this kid some more warm-ups? That was one thing I'm just watching. And some of these other things, people can have different opinions on that. But that one, to me, I just thought was blatant how that whole situation was managed because I just thought it was unnecessary. Well, Murphy pitched 63 pitches. so And, and I'm not sure how many he pitched in the SEC tournament when he got the win against Ole Miss in that game that lasted um, not as late as the one last night, but fairly late. So you, I'm, I'm not sure comparatively if his stamina was to go three and two thirds like he did, but that was painful to watch. And it was something that when you, I was sitting right there, like I said, behind home plate. And I noticed that when he was planning on his landing foot, he looked like a couple pitches before that he maybe agitated something or twisted something and he kind of bent down. And so I'm looking at the dugout and I'm watching what's going on, and I don't see any movement the first time. And then the second pitch that he happened, and he kind of grimaced, you saw the trainer walk down. I specifically saw him walk down from the third base coach's box, and he kind of jogged toward the opening, and I'm not sure if he said something to Corbin 
or Brownie at that point. And then, and then the third time it was, he was visibly, visibly in some pain. And that's when he immediately ran out there. You know, if anybody's ever had that, it looked like he was, he was kind of stretching his toe. It, it was, it looked like calf area, but that's like having a nail in your calf. And it is it, when you land your landing foot, it, it could have been, I don't think it was any, in any part of being in danger, but the game sure was, you know, it wasn't, was possibly in danger if they didn't get him out of there and tried to gut through it. So the, the other thing to follow up on, on your point was Ethan Smith. And so Ethan Smith comes in and I turned the guy, a friend of mine watching the game with him. And I said, jokingly, like we had in the scenario with the Georgia tech pitcher who got hit in the shin bone or the ankle, whatever happened. And that was an absolute seed. Um, that kid's I'm sure his ankle is blown up today like a, a, a tomato i mean it, it, those things that happened to me one time and it's no fun but ethan smith so i'm said you know we're going to be here this this warm-up change we're going to have another one of these it's going to last 10 minutes and the way ethan smith was warming up at first you would have thought that he was going to do that and then he nods to the catcher to he he you know kind of motions to cj rodriguez and said i'm good and i'm like you're good. I mean, he, he, what he hadn't even pitched out of the stretch yet. And there was a runner on first. And I turned to my friend, I said, does he know he's pitching out of the stretch? Cause he threw all his pitches from the windup. And uh, I noticed that real quickly. And then he gives up the home run. And after loading the zone a couple times with fastballs and, and gives up the home run and, and then he gets pulled. So I would have, and I'm not sure if there's a story behind that. I'm not sure if he was, I know he had been up several times in the bullpen, and you, there's only so much you got, especially when you pitched 48 hours earlier and you hadn't pitched before that in seven weeks. So there's going to be some – you don't want to throw too much uh, because if you do, you, you've left it all in the bullpen two and three innings prior to that. So that was a little concerning to me when that happened. And then Hugh Fisher, when I went and got something to drink, uh, you know, I come back and he's already out of the game. And, and Maldonado, and that's when I saw all the parents and the coaches' wives <laughs> standing in the concourse, uh, not wanting to watch. And of course, Maldonado worked it out. But yeah, to, you know, there's an art to that. People don't understand when they realize that pitches in between innings don't count as far as the record. So if you throw 110 in pitches in a game, those guys are throwing fairly hard in between innings, and you get eight eight pitches in between. So that's 56, 63 more pitches that you add to your total, then you've got your bullpen and in that before the game. So all this talk about a hundred pitches being your limit, those guys are surpassing those numbers uh, as far as what they're doing throughout the course of the game. Yeah. And one more thing, I just was shocked that they brought Murphy out for the 11th. With the five-run lead, I mean, yeah. you've still got Berkwich there, you got Fisher, you got Ethan Smith. I'm thinking they can cobble this together. I mean, I, I presume Christian Little, if you really need him, I, I'm guessing they were saving him for a a Monday game if it happened. But I just did not get because you could see his velo dip. Okay, he comes out and he is just throwing gas. I mean, that I thought that that his first inning, which I guess would have been the ninth. Uh, I thought was as good as anybody threw uh, about all year. I mean, he's coming out, and it's all fastballs. Like, I, I don't think he threw a breaking ball. 
I think no. he threw twenty something fastballs to start the outing because it was just that good. And I'm sitting there talking to Willie Donick, and I just looked over at him at one point, and I said, "Willie, okay, what do you do?" Because if I'm a coach, I'm kind of nervous in that spot because if you throw a breaking pitch in that point, your fastball has been so dominant that everybody's going to say, okay, well, stupid coach, that was working. Clearly, nobody was hitting it. Why did you change what was working? Well, then, if you say, hey, let's throw a change up or a slider to mix it up. And by the way, his slider is really good when it's right. on. I, don't, I didn't even realize he had a change up or not one that he used a lot. And so then, because I'm, I'm thinking, okay, these guys are good hitters. They're good fastball hitters. Eventually, they're going to see enough of these that the bat's going to meet the ball and bad stuff happens. Um, you know, if, if nothing else, it's, it's an Allen Oaks redux. Like, you know, sometimes those things just happen in baseball. And so you're, you're yeah. in a bad spot there because either way, you kind of lose. Um, and, and sure enough, what happened was you didn't see a breaking pitch or anything other than a fastball till that home run. And by that point, it was it was 20-something straight fastballs to start that outing. Yeah, Georgia Tech all weekend was, especially even in the 4-3 loss that they had to Vanderbilt on Saturday, they were on a bunch of pitches, Chris. They, they were not, they were fouling pitches off and just missing. And if those guys had been a little quicker, uh, you can just tell if you study the game when people are missing, when it's a Kumar Rocker, Duke, couple years ago when they're when they're fanning at pitches and they can't even they're not even fouling stuff off Georgia Tech was on some of those and missing missing uh depositing them either over the fence or in a gap or hitting the ball hard somewhere I mean they fouled off. I w- I'd love to know how many pitches they fouled off I know that there was 17 they fouled off 17 or 18 pitches in that one inning early against Leiter that really dug into his pitch count and and so yeah, I was a little surprised that he Murphy went out and, and perhaps that you know that was the inning too. I think where we had the shin bone ankle injury, so that he had that long warm up. Not a, not in addition to the inning itself, then you had the warm up situation with Georgia Tech that took long. And and when you're sitting and you're not used to that, and you and it's a five hour game, uh, that can come into play. And and so I'm not saying I was shocked that he came out but but surprised more is a better word that they didn't have somebody else on but he was and his velocity like you said he was 97 98 and it was just like here it is if you can hit it go ahead and he was in a groove and and it had a a a friend texted me a, a former player as well and said you know this guy I like his attitude right now he's basically just give me the ball here it is you're not gonna hit it but when that drops so dramatic, like you mentioned in that in that last inning, when he, he that should give you a sign there that things aren't doing well. Okay, I'm going to give you pitch by pitch of what he did. It'll it'll take me a minute, but I think this will be interesting for people to hear. So bear with me. I've started logging velocities and results of pitches. He comes in first one, and this was two. I can't read my own writing, but whoever the first guy he faced. Last night, um, 99 swinging, 97 swinging, 99 swinging, out one. Uh, 98 ball, 
This is too white. So the first guy he pitched to was the eight hitter. Okay. Right. So, so to the nine hitter, this is the second hitter of the eighth. He goes 98 ball, 98 looking, 98 looking, 98 ball, uh, 98 swinging strikeout. Then to Luke Waddell, who's just as tough a hitter as they come because the kid doesn't strike out and he can barrel it. 97 looking, 98 swinging, uh, 97 foul. So that's the first guy to touch the ball off him. That's pitch 11. 98 ball, 96 foul, 98 ground out to Young, who made a good play on that from what I remember too. Okay, then you go to the ninth. You're at Gonzalez, who's their two-hole hitter. I think it was 96 looking. Uh, I may not have had that one right. I got a question mark next to it. 96 fly eight. And then they go to Pareto's good hitter. 96 ball, 96 foul. So the velo dipping a little bit. 97 looking, 97 ball, 97 fly ball to center. Then they go to Compton. So this would be, at this point, he has thrown... 21 pitches, so pitch 22, 97 foul. So the velo's dipping a little bit, and I guess they're starting to put the bat on the ball. Uh, 97, uh, I think, I can't read my own writing. Oh, no, that's the home run. So he, he hits a yeah. home run on a fastball, which would be pitch 23 of the outing. Again, by this point, he's not throwing anything but fastballs. Then he goes 96 ball and 96 ground out to end that inning. Um, then they get the five runs, and you think, okay, they're <laughs> they're in good shape, and then they bring him out. Then he throws a changeup uh, to start the, the, his third inning work looking, and I won't, I won't bore you with the details from there, but I will say uh, fast, first fastball he throws that inning, 95, second one, 95, then he goes 96, 95, 95, 95. Then it starts dipping 94, 95, 94, 95. You can see that the velo, which was 97 to 99 in that first inning, dips 96, 97 second inning, and then 94 to 95 in the third. So you could see that he was, in addition to the cramps, uh, visibly tiring a little bit. And I I, I guess I understand, okay, it, it's working. You <laughs> You know, it's postseason. Everybody's got to give a little extra, but bring him out for the 11th just to me it's, uh, it, it didn't make a lot of sense with the five-run lead. But um, well, and he, and he didn't have that plant foot. I mean, that's the, the the leg that was cramping. And, again, that is like if anybody's ever had that before, it, it feels like someone shot you in the calf um, and, and, and that's your landing foot and that much torque and velocity that you're putting on that. Can be. I mean, but you look at he was throwing strikes. The main thing is I mean, a lot of these he threw sixty three pitches and forty three strikes out of those sixty three. So he was really just pounding the strike zone, um, especially early on in that first couple of innings. And and that's what the impressive thing about it. And it's just things like that happen though. Innings innings endure. You have injuries. You had the warm up deal, and that's probably. And I'm sure he's okay. Hopefully, that my first thought is I hope it's not something he's twisted or he's. Uh, you know, uh, landed the wrong way, and this is more of a ligament issue and a knee. But it didn't look like that. It just it looked like a basic a cramp, and he couldn't go anymore. Okay, let's switch to hitting. 
you know, you watch guys over at bats and you get a sense of who's really on and, and struggling. And I thought that Dominic Keegan was really seeing it pretty well in Hoover. He was really seeing it well against Presbyterian. And you could see the growth in him as a hitter. He's had just fits with off-speed stuff. And so you see a lot of it. I think that his swings, the timing has been good. Um, you know, sometimes he's just under or over a pitch. But you could just tell every at-bat that kid has had for a couple of weeks has been super competitive. I would not want to pitch to him. And holy cow, basically everybody who, who pitched to him in Nashville this weekend paid the price. Yeah, and the book is out on everybody. There's there's no secrets anymore this time of the year. There's shared information. There's video. They know that about Keegan, but I was impressed with what he is, you know, did. He looked like he was seeing the ball really well. And you look at his numbers, Chris. I mean, the numbers don't lie when the, the season stat sheet, yes, he's, you know, second on the team in strikeouts, but you look at his numbers where he leads the team in RBIs, leads the team in home runs, He's in the top two. No, he leads the team in doubles. You know, the, those and his, his average has gone from, he was in the 350s a couple weeks ago, now 374 after this weekend. But that kid showed me something this weekend. Because, yes, it's been a struggle in the breaking ball, and you know that. Especially when you know that, you know what's coming, and you know that the scouting reports have, have been, are, are what they are. And you're going to see a certain type of, it starts getting your head a little bit, and you're going to see certain type of pitch sequences but, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I thought Dominic Keegan, the way he attacked the baseball this weekend was impressive, and it was good to see him um, you know, do what he did all weekend long. He's very consistent and very much in the zone. Isaiah Thomas. Boy, postseason is tough, and I felt for the kid for Tech who gave up the slam, Sam Crawford, who just had a rough end of the year. But, man, for Thomas, what a moment because – to that point, you hate to use the word goat because Thomas had a great year, but that's the thing everybody was talking about, and he talked about it himself. And to see him get redemption in that spot, I felt really good for that kid. Yeah, you know, Isaiah Thomas, he, it, it's feast or famine, it seems, with him. And, you know, he, he has the ability to look silly at the dish and then hit do what he did last night and and really just stroke the ball hard. And, and he, he has such a, and I think one of the broadcasts, I think the Ole Miss series in Oxford, Kyle Peterson was saying, you know, he's on a lot of people's radars for the next level baseball because, you know, and, and many times with these guys, you don't understand it's not what you are doing right now. It's what they can develop you to be one day. And he's got all the tools to do so. It's just a matter of getting more consistent. But yeah, I was happy for him and, what a great moment. Uh, I didn't really, I, I knew it was had a chance. And from your vantage point, did it hit the foul pole? I, I couldn't really tell I, it, it immediately because that's a tough, that is a tough, and you watch the replay, the home plate umpires looking at it. Of course, you got the third base umpire who's standing on the line, and that is his job to make the call on fair or foul. And that that is with everything being tight over there with the stadium. And I really didn't get a view view of it because a bunch of people stood up in front of me but did it hit the pole or not or did it I did a, a, not a, see it hit in fact I'm almost positive it didn't hit the pole because I watched okay. it on replay this it, that ball really went a long way it went further than I thought it did um and, and I'm watching here's here's where I sit just for people to understand my vantage point we were in the press box which I think people know is directly by home plate I was all the way almost all the way to the left 
in the windows that you can see from the stands. And so my vantage point, if you want to draw a line from where I sit uh, to the seats that, that run parallel to the foul pole, I'm probably, I don't know, 13, 14 rows deep. So I am very much to the left of that foul pole. Uh, I, I For some reason, I have a pretty good judge of what's going to go fair or foul. I always thought that one was going to go fair. It's closer than I thought. But no, I don't think it ticked the foul pole, but it did go. Boy, and talk about being hammered. The one that Gonzalez hit, my goodness. And that's one of those. That was a rocket. Well, yeah. and, and off the bat, I, I don't. I think people know. I'm scoring the game. I'm taking notes. I'm writing. I'm, I'm probably a little too ADD for my own good. I'm trying to put updates on the board. And sometimes because of that, there are things that I don't notice and I need to probably just rein some of that in. But with Gonzalez's, I didn't even see where it landed because the minute he hit it, I, I – Look down to to put HR in the scorebook. That that pitch was just clobbered, and that was that was in uh, that time of the ball game, Chris. That literally there was no air in the stadium. I mean, you're just wet. You're wanting something to happen, something to happen for your team to get some sort of momentum. I mean, there was it was just dead air, and a lot. I'm I'm not sure if people are observant about like stuff like that as I am. But even Tim Corbin mentioned in the press conference, I mean, the ebbs and flows of the emotion. But that was a dead period of the game that, that could have gone either way. I mean, if Georgia, if he doesn't get that hit, I think, you know, if he doesn't get the home run, you know, Georgia Tech's, what, three outs away from playing on Monday and forcing that. And it, the the minute he takes that, towards the left center gap and over the second the, the over the entire bleacher section out there it just brought life back into the park which was what exactly what the team needed but yeah it, it was a bomb and there were and i don't know if you've ever you've probably seen a bunch of games in person more than i have this year watched a lot on tv of course but they the 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 distance some of these home runs are going i mean the guy from georgia tech the one he hit on Saturday night was a bomb. I mean, it, it might have gone all the way across the street to Olin Hall. I mean, not literally, but I mean that cleared everything out there and right the, the bomb that he hit. So a lot. I was very impressed with some of the shots and the distances this weekend. I think, as an aside, I think they're going to have to deaden the ball a little bit at both levels, just if for nothing else, for the sake of pitchers. I mean. You what what you don't like sometimes a good pitch is gonna just gonna get hit out, but the ball is getting out so easily. I mean, I swear to God, and you're the one that used to be the pitcher. I don't know how you pitch these days, because even if you blow a fastball by somebody ninety eight ninety nine, th- there's a chance that the next swing they can just you know the the, the bat and ball can run into each other and it's gonna go a long way. I just don't like the direction of the game. And to me, I think that would help a lot. Uh, I think it would help pitchers to pitch a little better, might hold down pitch counts. But that's one thing, and I love college baseball right now. It's fun to watch. TV is help. But that's the one thing that concerns me is, and you're seeing at the big league level all the injuries, right? And it's happening to hitters too, and, and so maybe that's not it. But uh, I just think to me, I hope that they look in the direction of a less lively ball next year. Well, but then, you, but on the other side of that, you've you've got a lot of the whining and moaning at the major league level. Is there's too many no hitters, and what does this say about the game? And 
you know, it, it, it's it, there's got to be a happy medium, and and they're doing a lot of these experiments at the you know the minor league level. I think there I saw where a rookie league, and uh, some point this season they're moving the the mound back a foot, or maybe a little over a foot, and they're doing the different things to promote more offense. Or second base bag is bigger to promote stealing, and you're not allowed to throw over to first base more than three times to keep a runner and. You've got, you know, limitations on the number of mound visits that the teams have. And, you know, a game that's five and a half hours, I know there were some extenuating circumstances last night with injuries and the ebb and flow of the game, but that's just too long, man. I mean, it it really, uh, it, it, it was excruciating to watch. Um, I, a friend of mine, I, I sent a message to on Saturday, and just stepping out of the box and adjusting the gloves. And it seems like everybody talks about this, Chris, at the beginning of the year, and they try to speed the pace of play up. And I know uh, Tim is on the rules committee and he's very in tune with that and trying, because it's understandable that, you know, people's in this microwave society we have, they don't want to stay at a baseball game for five hours. Uh, and, and so you've got some people who think that, Pitchers bigger, stronger, faster, throwing 98, 99, and pitchers can't, and batters can't touch it. And then you got the other camp who's saying that the ball's too live and that someone's going to get killed one day, which I'm scared about too if I were pitching in this modern day. Um, you know, taking balls off their skull and their shin bone and, and all that. So, where is the happy medium? And, and if that is to deaden the ball and to maybe do with some of these other things to speed, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm talking about two different things, maybe safety and speed. And I don't want to go down two different roads, but they're all kind of combined too, because if you take one of them out, then it affects the other category. So, uh, you know, it, it, it is, I, I think the exit speeds, I mean, that ball that went off the Georgia tech reliever, I, I mean, I'm surprised he could even walk and it, it, it harkens back to who was the pitcher for us in Gainesville. And you're going to name him immediately. And his name's on the tip of my tongue. The left oh, it's the took, reliever, Corey Williams. Yes. Yeah. And took one, got his uh, sp leg split broken. his kneecap. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Split his kneecap in, in two. So, um, yeah, there's just, there's some things they're going to have to look at because as soon as one person says that, well, everybody's throwing hard and everybody's throwing in the nineties. And then the people want to see the home runs. They want to see the balls go, you know, hit off the the training facility and left and clear the right field fence and go into the park. And those are exciting things. So where is the where's the balance there? That and that's going to be a, a tough decision that's going to have to be made. I think one day. Well, and you made some great counterpoints, especially at the major league level. And the thing is, you talk about this long enough, you will contradict yourself. Because it's like, oh, yeah. you were here a conversation, it's like, something needs to be done to take away these advantages from the hitters, uh, because too many good pitches are getting hit out. To that, I say yes. And other people would say, there's too long where the ball doesn't get put in play. Uh, hitters are striking out so much that the game gets kind of stale. To that, I say yes. It's just this weird stage of baseball that if you're our age and you've watched baseball for decades, you just don't really know how to process. I mean, I guess for, for someone in their 20s, maybe they're looking at it going no big deal. This is kind of what I know. But for us, I mean, I, we've grown up following baseball since we were little, little, little kids. And I just don't know how some days – to process what it is that I'm seeing. Yeah, and and you've got the other camp about the bats, you know, the 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 bats being used today and at the colleges will ever go to wood 
which the pros want to do because it gives them a more evaluating talent as far as what they're going to be swinging in the future. And, um, but sometimes you see some rockets come off wood in the, in the major league level too. I mean, you've seen some guys, that, um, I think it was a triple a game, a game in Charlotte maybe, or Durham the other night where a pitcher took one off the face and they had to literally stretcher him off the field. I think it was over the weekend. So, you know, man, it, it, you could go down either road and convince me one way is better than the other. But I think that baseball is at a point where they're trying and they're thinking about it and they're thinking just for the fact of moving the mound back is that's pretty drastic. Um, you know, a foot, I'm not saying it's going to make a huge difference, but they're at least they're willing to see what it could do and, and how that can impact, um, you know, because I think that major leagues having the opposite problem at least here lately, the colleges are They're They're seeing not enough offense and seeing too many people strike out where it's a college game. They're, sw- they're swinging the non wood bats and you're seeing what is, I think I read if I'm, I forgot what the record number of home runs for a regional, but it's going to get broken because there's games going to be played tonight. And we're already surpassed what the, the record was for home runs. Uh, this tournament, all home runs combined by all teams has already set the record and there's games to be played tonight. Yeah, I was talking with Barry Allen about this on the SEC podcast I did just before this, and I don't think the record's been broken yet, and I think I think it's for the regionals, but it should be broken today. And by the way, just as an aside, I've turned down or turned on Mississippi State and Campbell. It's 4-3 in the third, so you know, runs are already flying in that one too, no surprise mm-hmm. there. And by the way, Mississippi State, you know, one of the most five talented pitching staffs in the country. But, you know, to something you said, I don't want to belabor it much longer because we got other stuff to talk about. And it occurs to me we haven't really talked about the other games yet. But I do wonder if moving the mound back a foot, maybe it's not much, but it's a step in a different direction. Maybe that helps you with safety with the with the comebackers. Like Jack Leiter, I wanted to mention this, almost got his head taken off. Oh, yeah. Um, and and made it made a tremendous play on that one. Um, yeah. So, so there was that, but I, I wonder just reaction time for hitters and pitchers. Although for hitters, uh, maybe just gives them more time to tee off on balls. Uh, anyway, let's let's put that aside because we got a lot of baseball to talk. Um, I always look at a weekend and I take what happened. And it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. I, I I break the pieces up, throw them back in the box, and 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 I guess this is kind of messing up the analogy. But what does the puzzle look like the next time I put it together? I still think, so long as they're healthy, I think I like their shot as much as anybody's. Just because what you saw of Rocker and Lighter and how effective they are this weekend again. I would have preferred they had taken Rocker out a little early. I don't know how to evaluate his outing because I just thought he just cruised. That lineup was not going to challenge him. But just based on what we know, I did. I certainly didn't feel any worse coming out of the weekend because of the starting pitching. And again, I I just look at what's ahead and go, okay, um, you you got to face this guy and that guy, and and good luck to you. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Presbyterian got two hits and they both were off rocker Schultz and, and, and Smith had almost perfect frames, uh, you know, and Smith I thought was really, really good on Friday night. I, it was good to see him out there. 13, 
13 pitches, hadn't pitched in what, seven, eight weeks. And, and I was, his stuff was electric. I mean, he came in and was attacking the zone. I liked his disposition on the mound. I thought he threw well, you know, Schultz was fine. 10 pitches himself. So yeah, I mean, rocker at 97 pitches, you, you maybe would have liked to get him out of there, but they're trying to, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a give and take. You want him to be able to give you, if they're going to stay on this course, in a super regional type of situation. Now we're in a super regional where it's, you know, there's just two games and people might not know this, but there's a chart, not just in the Vanderbilt locker room. It's in probably every major baseball program where who's going to be up, who's going to be down as far as pitching. I, I guarantee you there was a list last night of who was available. Uh, and, and you, you want, and Tim mentioned this in the post game, you know, you want to do all you can to win that game but you're a fool if you don't sit there and say, okay, you know, for instance, Little is not going to be up tonight because if he's up, meaning he's going to be available, you can't pitch him knowing full well you might have to play a game on Monday. And so you have your different people who are going to pitch, who's not going to pitch. And so now that focus is shortened, right? In a regional, you think you might have to play five, six games, six games tops, in a super regional, it's just two. So you've shortened your leash here as far as who your guys are going to be up, who's going to be in order in certain situations for short and middle relief, long relief, whatever. They all know that pretty much going in. Now, coaches have been known to, to change that, and they'll get a guy up, and they'll they'll get him warmed up, and they think that they're going in. And to defense of some pitching coaches and managers, the game changes. You get a feel of – well, you know, Kumar, I think we can get one more out of him. Would like to get him to the seventh, so we just got to get six outs. Or uh, you might not like a way a certain person's pitching in the pen. They don't look as lively as they do. But that is a tough call to do. Now, sometimes some people argue that some staffs don't get their pins up quick enough. I know last night I was peering around trying to see down there in the first, but they obviously had a plan that they were going to let Riley go unless it just got too incredibly bad and too many runs in the first. But now you've got two games you got to focus on. You know there's only going to be two maximum that you're going to have. Now, you might have to play three, but to win it, you just have to play two, and you can play off that knowing that you have rocker and lighter in separate ball games trying to win that. And I think it helps. It definitely gives an advantage to Vanderbilt this weekend against ECU. Well, and, and the other part to the pitching component is the defense that goes with it. And there's two guys that I think, Absolutely deserve a shout-out. Now, I know that the hitting didn't go the way he wanted it. Carter Young struggled, and that kid, you know, we were told he was only going to hit lefty. Well, he was hitting yeah. righty last night, too. Of course, he's a switch hitter. I know Carter had a, a tough time at the plate. And, look, it's not uncommon. You saw Dom Keegan go through this. You know, he'd just been on fire, and then he sits out a couple weeks, comes back. Timing was really messed up for a couple weeks. I, I think with Carter... Uh, and, and Carter's one of these high-risk, high-reward guys. He might strike out three guys, and then he might hit you the three-run homer in the eighth uh, that, that wins it. So I, I think with with him, you just have to accept it. He just wasn't putting the bat on the ball this weekend, which I can understand, but I thought he was great in the field. Uh, he just makes everything look so easy. The throws from deep in the hole, the transfer times. You know, those balls hit deep in the hole That with a lot of guys. You're like, this is going to be a close play at first. With Carter... The transfer is so quick. The throw is so quick. 
and it's so smooth that he makes plays look easier than they should. And I just thought that kid working to come back from what he's come back from and giving him what they that he gave them at, on defense, I just thought that deserved to mention. The other kid, and, and I know that he has not hit the ball the way that he has, but I always think even when he's in a slump, he's not a guy that I want to pitch to because he just puts the bat on the ball. And let me give you some stuff about C.J. Rodriguez in, in terms of just what he did offensively this weekend. Uh, let me look at the game, the game two against Georgia Tech. Um, first time up, he walks. Comes to nothing because they hit in a double play. Hits an RBI double in the fourth when the game is in the balance. In that inning where just the wheels came off for Tech. Um, and then last night, Sunday night, slash Monday morning, um, makes outs the first two times up, walks to keep a big inning alive where they get two runs, walks again in the seventh. They they waste that opportunity uh, and, and gets a walk proceeding. And, and by the way, really worked that count really well. I, I think Crawford was on the mound. I want to say that he was down on the count and took a couple balls, took a pitch close off the plate. And he's one of those kids that, uh, it's almost like the umpire, you know how Ted Williams was. Like <laughs> The umpires kind of let Ted Williams make the call for them. They're like, if he didn't swing, they weren't going to call a ball. I'm not saying that's the case with CJ, but I think his eye is so good. I'm sure umpires who've watched him noticed that. But he also <laughs> got a walk um, that, that kept that inning alive, and, and then Thomas hits the grand slam. Uh, I might say keep the inning alive. They they didn't have any outs. But Thomas hits the grand slam, so that adds on one more run. You know, and, and to catch that whole time, to be behind the plate in a five-hour game at the end, I don't think he made any errors all weekend. Uh, shout out to that kid because at this point, he's really gutting it out too. Yeah, I mean, you don't really know. C.J. Rodriguez might have some issues that we don't – I mean, just he's beat up. He's catching balls you know, not always on the padding and, and you just saw him a couple times go down and had some meetings with Tim Corbin. And at one point, the first one, I was wondering if, if he would hurt himself or Tim was asking if he, if he could go and need, you know, it strained something. And, you know, it's been a, a hit and miss with him. You can just tell he's been battered for the last couple of weeks and rest is something that he's going to need for the next couple of days to get ready for the super. And when, as far as Carter young, yeah, I know when he was over five last night, Chris, in that last at bat, I turned to a friend and I said, he just needs something good to happen to him. And then he hits the ball opposite field down the line, gets the double and eventually scores. And how big was that run? By the way, I know it didn't decide the ball game, but after the grand slam, if it's, if it's uh, all of a sudden a one or two run game, instead of the distance they had, going into the last inning, the 11th, uh, there could have been a little panic uh, on our side. But, yeah, those two, you know, Carter Young, that's another thing. It's not like hockey. I think Tim's more of an open book than you see some in hockey, the pro, where you're, you've got a guy at the end of the year and he's been playing hurt and he doesn't practice. And then it, it turns out that, you know, he's, he's going to have surgery tomorrow. Or, you know, I mean, it, this could be Carter Young might have to have something done with his shoulder after the postseason uh, to clean that thing up if it's bad enough to make sure it doesn't uh, hamper him going forward. He's definitely going to need some rest, but there's no rest for the weary right now, I'm sure, in that kid's mind. He wants to be out there every day. 
So you really don't know what he's dealing with uh, as far as that shoulder, if that's something that is going to plague him. And you, and you don't know what C.J. Rodriguez, I don't think they'll tell you if he's got something wrong other than fatigue. And so you, there's just a laundry list, and we've talked about this all year long, of who is this team's been battered. It's been beat up more than a Tim Corbin team I can ever remember. And they're, and But they've got you know three games this weekend, potentially two, to get through before they can get another Omaha berth, and that's what's uh, laying on the line for them this week. Well, and this team's been through a lot. It's the injuries, the expectations. It just all year I've heard this team just doesn't have this or doesn't have that, and there's just so much focus on the what they don't have. And I say this is the, the the resident biggest critic on the beat. I mean, I think people know I'll I'll call stuff out, but I just feel like this is the team that has battled stuff all year. I'm not gonna say that you can't have criticisms because of course you do, and you, you should be able to talk about stuff. But I just feel like the fan base, it's just gotten kind of out of balance. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm watching the things that they do and they do well, and I'm looking at who they do it against. I'm thinking, this is a really good baseball team. Are they going to crash and burn against East Carolina next weekend? I don't know. Probably not. But it, it could it happen? Yeah. But I just look at the expectations these guys are playing under. And there's just a tendency, and I guess it's, again, when, when your sights are on the national title, to look at all the stuff that goes wrong and gloss over the stuff that happened. You know, like everybody's coming out of the weekend, they were talking about the pitching. I'm like, well, yeah, that's a topic, but you also got Dom Keegan on fire. And it's just the program is to a point that I feel like fans miss a lot of the good in front of them. Uh, because it just the focus is is just on every little thing uh, that that falls a little short that could sink them, and that's a lot of pressure for a team to go through, especially when they've never been on the stage and you just don't have any continuity. I mean, Chip, have they lined up? Have they lined up the same lineup two weekends in a row all year? I don't, I don't think, think so. they have. No, no, I don't think so, and it's just. Chris, it's expectations and it's it's uh, it's Alabama football type expectations where they're always looking at the next year. And I just kind of laugh and it's it's fodder for your board. And it's and when I do go on there and kind of look at things and look at the comments when every year on your message board, which is great for you because it's clicks and it's it's to, it promotes uh, topics of uh, threads and all that. But it's there's, there's always in any sport and more so baseball than basketball. I saw one a few months ago about basketball is in the middle of basketball season, you know, who's going to be the starting five next year? You know, I mean, we're not even through this year. And I saw one about, all right, who's going to be our weekend rotation. I mean, it's in a, in a sense, that's what happens to programs, right, wrong, or different that you, you can't enjoy the now in this microwave society we're in where this, this team needs to be treasured. And I'm not saying they're not, but you, I 100% agree with you that people got to understand that one day there will be a blip in the radar and the years of going to regionals and super regionals, whether it be for injuries or one year Tim decides he wants to do something else and, and there's a coaching change and, and he retires or, you know, you get a bad year in recruiting. And when I mean a bad year, Sometimes bad years are because of your own doing because you recruit too well. And I think they've got that figured out where 
they know who's signable and who's not. But this year, this year's class coming up, there are going to be some guys who aren't going to come to campus. It happens every year. But if we get one of those freak years where a bunch of kids go that you don't expect and you lose a recruiting class, that could happen. So, yeah, I, I, this team, for what it's been through, and I'm they're they play in a great program and they're uh, it, it is uh, they're treated well and all those things. Yes. But this team, you know, for what they've been through as far as injuries are concerned and where they can have a chance that they're two wins away from Omaha, I think is and I, and I have this, anybody that I say that we talked about in a show two weeks ago, Chris, I said, name me one, when someone starts giving me that, like, oh, they're not this, and the pitching's not this, so they can't be, I say, name one player that was on that national championship team on game three against Michigan, name, can you name me one player who's in the lineup? No, nobody, there nobody. There was no. Yeah. And, and so it's easy to do that. And it's human nature these days of, you know, who's going to be the next Alabama football quarterback. And then after him, who do we got in the pipeline? And it's sometimes it, you just kind of got to shake yourself and say, you know, let's let's enjoy this. So let's enjoy their run. They're 18 to 22 year old kids and they're not going to be around for long. And, uh, you know, the only thing that's consistent are the coaches. I, I had a coach one time tell me. That you know, I'm I get I I'm it's different for me. I get to stay here. Y'all leave, you know, and the revolving door. But the only consistency is your staff. And and the thing that Tim talks about every year, it's like a truck screeching to a halt and slamming on the brakes. And you get these guys who you've been around with forever, and they leave. So the consistency is your core thoughts and the way you you train and the way that you handle yourselves and the way you you go about the game. But the, the players aren't going to be forever, and 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 um, I think we need to appreciate it and appreciate this run. Well, if if I were, if I were the parent of a player, and man, this sounds, this, this is horrible business uh, because I, I run one. I, I would not go on message boards. I would not go. I, I would definitely not go on Twitter. No. I just wonder. I'm I'm thinking like, is is this a thing where? Because you play your whole life to get to this point. And it's like, are, are, is, this, is this enjoyable? Or is it just a thing where, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm assigning here. I'm not, I don't have any evidence for this, okay? Uh, and I think these kids are pretty locked in and focused and have got the mental part down. So this is probably just spitting into the wind. But I do wonder sometimes, at the end of the weekend, you know, did, did you have fun or were you just more relieved that it's over and you didn't disappoint? And I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's not how they look at it. But just from the outside, I guess, especially as a parent of two, two little kids, I'm just going, if I were in the middle of all that, how much would I enjoy it? Yeah, and, and a lot of the, it's not just baseball, Chris. There, there's other sports. I know some kids here who play soccer. and they, you talk to these parents and they're in the eighth grade and going to be in ninth grade and they have their map, their, their life mapped out. They want to go to this school or this school. They're going to go to this camp. They're going to go to these ID camps at these schools this summer. Their sophomore year, we're going to go to this summer. They hope to get an offer. I mean, we're talking eighth grade and baseball is no, baseball is a, you got to have the way the world is, is going as far as baseball and recruiting the recruiting world and it's football too. You have these camps you go to that you, you, um, 
get identified with. In baseball, it's perfect game as a leader in that as far as you these showcase camps. And you get to a point where you, you worry about the burnout for some of these kids where it's more of a job than it is having fun but to most of these kids they it is it, it's a semi job they are looking and you know people sit there and say well why do you know why wouldn't this kid want to stay in school school's one of the you know yeah right it is it is that way but when you have a chance to get some of the money that they're throwing out and that is their concern and they're looking at what what this is going to do to my life or my family's life on down the road so we could talk about this there could be another show but yeah, I, I just think it's good to have this break. I'm sure they'll be off today on Monday. Have a couple days to unwind. I mean, they'll train, of course, because the game's going to turn. It'll be a quick turnaround before you know it, especially with the way that last night or this morning's game ended. But recharge the batteries a little bit and and know that you're two wins away from going to Omaha. And that's what all these kids came to Vanderbilt and to do based on what's the trend of this program and what the expectations, that's what they are right now. Well, and I have some thoughts on the, you know, this could end at any time, and I don't think people really have any, well, that, no, that that sounds, that, 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 I'm not going to say people don't have any clue. They do. It's just, it's where your focus is. It's how it dictates the conversation. But, I mean, this is special. It could end at any time, and, and when this year ends, I, I think it's probably good to have that conversation and, and to just save some material for some other times. But, you know, here's a closing thought for me, and this is how weird the last two years have been. And and some of it is this dynamic on this beat, you know, for reasons I've outlined on other podcasts, just been, it's been the worst thing I've ever been through professionally for a year and a half. And I'll just leave it at that. But, um, it, it was really ironic. I'm, I'm thinking this morning when I wake up, I'm in a ball game that lasts five and a half hours that has 25 runs that has, what was it, 473 pitches. Um, I don't get home till 2.25 in the morning. I'm up here. Uh, it's just turned noon, and I'm doing my second podcast of the day, and both of them gone about an hour. And, and I'm like, you know, th- that felt like, in, in spite of all the weird circumstances, that, that was the first time that my job had finally felt normal in like a year and a half. And just how odd that that came after after a strange game and everything. And I do hope that, you know, COVID is not dominating the conversation anymore and all this stuff, and you're seeing full capacity. And just like, I'm just like, for once, and I guess that's one reason why, um, you know, it's hard to – it's not like playing, but as a writer, it's a grind. You're having to think of words and thri- fight through the fatigue. And, um, you know, sometimes you, you're thinking one thing, you know, type another. But at the end of just all that exhaustion, it was just weird when I woke up this morning. I'm like, that felt like the most normal thing that I'd done in a year and a half. Yeah, and, and you look at you take a look at the stands in the game during the seventh inning stretch. You stand around and see some normalcy which is great to see uh, and, and kids in the stands and parents laughing and they got the cheers going. And, and if there's anything, Chris, in closing that, that I thought in the last 48 hours that really struck me was a tweet that Al Leiter put out after his son's performance on Saturday, which I don't know if you saw it, uh, but it, if, if you can look it up, it really basically it was a, a video. It was a 15 second video or so. And it superimposed Tim Corbin 
and Scott Brown on the on the on the bench. It's really cool. You need to look it up. And and then the it was an inning where Leiter got out of that trouble inning on on Saturday, in his last pitch, the breaking ball that got, I think it was a called strike. But his comment was basically, in a, in a nutshell, this is why my kid came to college. And he, he says it in a different way, and you'll see what I'm talking about when you find it. But it was a really cool video that someone did. And so, yes, people get it. I think the parents get it. And, and it was great seeing him being a former big league player saying something like that. It was moments like this. It was the enthusiasm. Corbin pumps his fist and... So does Brownie and those guys, but it, it, the way they superimposed the two graphics, the videos was really, really cool. So I'm not saying that, it, yeah, that the, there isn't some, you know, there's so much pressure on these big programs to get to that ultimate goal of being one of the top eight teams in the country and getting to experience that. But that really struck me as being a really cool moment that Al Leiter put out there and I know it was appreciated that he was he was basically saying this is what college athletics is all about and games like this and seeing the support and enthusiasm of his teammates when he struck the batter out and by the staff. And it, I urge everybody to go search that on Twitter because I, I don't know how much outlier tweets, probably not a whole lot, but you'll see it if it's still up there. Well, Chip, on top of everything else, uh, you get to go to work on fumes today. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, just make this short because in you know in the in today's market in Nashville, pretty much all over the country, and I'm not going to mention competitors by name, but there's there's a lot of media out there that's paid for by very successful real estate companies that talk about uh, a certain offer that would be guaranteed on your house, and to call them, and uh, the hassle of having a an offer that's solidified before you put your house on the market. Well. That's fine, and there, there's several companies who do that in certain markets, maybe, if that's for you. So in today's market where you see these guaranteed offers on media and people are claiming that they'll give you a certain amount and you don't have to go through hassles of showing your house, open houses, and you take it hassle-free, that might be something up your alley. But let me give you a stat here. In the last 45 days in areas 2 and 10, which are Williamson County and Nashville, the Davidson County, the hot areas in the real estate market, everything's hot, but particularly those, the over houses have been overbid. That means if your house is listed for $250,000, they're selling some of them in many areas for two seventy-five dollars and $300,000. And so the average overbid is fifteen dollars to $20,000. So my question to you, to your listeners, are why wouldn't you have competition be a something in your pocket where the more people who are interested in your house, the better. So that's where a company like ours at Frederick and Clark comes into play. We've got over 180 agents in two locations in those hot areas I mentioned, Brentwood and near Maryland Farms area and in Green Hills. And we can help set the table for you on the sale side in this extremely hot market to get competition for your home and not take an offer that is at market or below market, because that's what's going to happen with some of these people who are very reputable companies, but they're trying to get you to do a offer where they buy your house before you don't have to go through the hassle. So look us up on the web at frederickandclark.com. You can call me personally, 615-327-4800, and I'll put you in touch with one of our great, outstanding bullpen of closers that I'd like to call them, over 180 of them and we'll set you straight and get you on the buy side or the sell side for real estate. You need representation, and that's where Frederick and Clark can come into play.
What kind of pitch count are your closers on today? What kind um, of pitch count are you on today? <laughs> I'm on a zero. I'm, I, I am done. <laughs> my, but my, my, 12 year, my, my 11-year-old, my 8-year-old, 8-year-old not too good when he woke up this morning. We had a discussion. I said, you know, I had that old dad-son discussion. Now, if you're going to stay up till 1 o'clock in the morning, then you're going to have when mom wants you to go. And he goes, oh, yeah, dad, I got it. Well, that didn't happen this morning, Chris. Uh, it was not a very good wake up call and, and it wasn't very good wake up call for dad either. So I might, uh, I'm running on fumes right now. I'm, I'm on a very low pitch count and I might have to take a nap. In other words, if we said something stupid, don't hold it against us. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) I always like that disclaimer. All right, Chip, thanks for joining me. We'll do this again next week. All right, man. Take care. All right. He's Chip Fredder from Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the game.